0: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast show number 101 with Sunitha Rao.
1: Once I found a new job, I started researching everything I could about personal finance. And that's where things got a little bit challenging initially because when we talk finance and we talk money, it's like this giant umbrella of everything. There's so many things you can do and it's really overwhelming.
2: It's time for a new American dream. One that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place. This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast.
0: How's it going, everybody? I'm Scott Trench, and I'm here with my co-host Mindy Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy?
3: Scott, I'm doing really, really well today. How are you today?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Wow, is Sunitha just awesome? What I mean, what an incredible story from you know all these different. She's had an amazingly diverse career and set of life experiences that I think make her story incredibly inspiring and relatable. No matter where you are in your money journey, I think you're going to have a lot to learn from Sunny today.
3: Yeah, she has like seven different lives crammed into one existence. Um, <laughs> and something that we talk about near the end of the show is domestic abuse and financial abuse and this show I wanted to I wanted to point this out at the beginning of the show because it could maybe be a trigger for people who have lived through this and aren't ready to hear about it but I think that it is really important to share this story we haven't covered this topic yet and you know she had an abusive home life as a child and she has you know the story of her getting past that. And that's not the way to say it. I feel terrible when I say, oh, you got past it. Like it's something to just overcome. And I don't mean it like that, but she has, you know, wrapped her mind around it, dealt with it and moved on with her life and become a fairly successful investor and very successful in the corporate world despite having originally a sixth grade education.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we'll dive into all of this for sure in the coming minutes here. But Zenitha was a professional tennis player who had a successful career for nine years as a professional tennis player all over the world, traveling everywhere. And she had to start over at the age of 23 with her new career after she retired. So really interesting perspective here with uh, the story. And and I think, again, everyone's going to have a lot to learn and take away from it.
3: Becoming a Navy Federal Credit Union member could help you earn more and save more. Take advantage of competitive rates with their certificate options or start saving for that next big money milestone with a low minimum deposit. Add money at any time and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long-term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe a live-in flip, or feeling ready to consolidate some of that high-interest credit card debt, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses much more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval. Sunitha Rao, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that we're finally getting to connect. Cody Berman introduced us 100 years ago, and we had a few misconnections, but now... We're on the show today. We've got you on the show. And I'm so excited to have you share your experiences and education about your own educational process with the financial independence movement, uh, or with financial independence in general, I guess, not the movement. So, Sunita, where does your journey with money begin?
1: So the basic kind of premises that have shaped my attitude towards money began when I was very young. So my parents were immigrants. They came over from small villages in India. My mother didn't finish high school. My father had a master's degree, but he had trouble holding down a job. My mother worked second shift at like a book factory when I was very young. Um, so kind of between those two dynamics, money was always a cause for concern in our household. And during that time period, I was very young. The, When they were struggling the most, when our family was on welfare, I I was three, four, two, three, four years old. And my strongest memories of those times would be the occasions when our apartment got broken into. Like that is what I remember in my childhood Mm -hmm. being in a bad area, having my apartment broken into, having my things being stolen, never knowing like what was happening. And even though my parents were eventually able to work themselves out of that, there was still a scarcity mindset around money for years to come. And that embedded itself into my own thinking. So scarcity around money and the need to save because you never knew what would happen in the future. Those were the premises that, that really began my financial journey.
0: Where was this hometown?
1: So this was when we were I was born in Jersey City. So this is when we were we were living up there.
0: Got it. How did that evolve over the years as you gotta kinda of get into maybe middle and high school years.
1: So being frugal, scarce around money, those are like the last things I learned about money for a long time. And those kind of conditions were only exacerbated as I got older. Because when I was 14, when I was fourteen, I turned pro. I played tennis professionally for nine years. And so I wasn't accustomed to like, a normal life. I was accustomed to a life where a lot of money was spent to travel, to train, and all of that. However, when I turned 18, I was funding my own career. And so with the tour, you never know how much money you're going to make any given week. $200 one week, $15,000 the next week. But those weeks of $15,000 did not really happen often.
0: Can we just back up a minute? Because you're a professional athlete, so I think we need some build up and, and lead into <laughs> oh, the, yeah, the, the going, the going pro in this. So can you walk us through kind of uh, maybe like the entry into professional into your career at 14? Um...
1: I, yeah. So, so, so I mean that was kind of like the predetermined path for me. My father wanted me to play tennis well before I was even born. Well, well before I was conceived well before I came into this world. So when I was young, even back in the times when we were in Jersey and not doing well, like he would take me out and runs, He would throw tennis balls at me. Like that was just the thing. So growing up, I trained even when I was like in first grade, like three, four hours a day after school. When I got a little bit older, 9, 10, 11, 12, that would be like more like six hours or so. And then you get to kind of a point where there aren't enough hours in the day to train. And you need to be training more in order to be increasing your skill set so that you can progress and compete at a higher and higher level. And that's where schooling starts to kind of like bump up against that time frame. So the priority was tennis, the priority was not education. So with my parents' boxing, I dropped out of school after sixth grade so that I could train full-time. And so that meant spending nine hours a day on the court. I was supposed to be doing homework. I never did. I didn't want to. I also didn't have the energy to after training nine nine hours a day. And so just compete at the state level, local level, national level, international level, eventually got to a point where I could compete as a professional when I was 14. Wow. How do you drop out of school in sixth grade?
3: Like you just completely stopped going this way you didn't have nobody like cares. homeschool or anything. I'm not, sounds so judgy. To. I'm
1: not trying to be judgy. It's totally fine. I know it, it doesn't make any sense. You would think that'd be like child protective services or something, but there wasn't, I was supposed to be homeschooled. I did maybe like 15% of the work and then just like, didn't do any more. And I mean, in, in the tennis world and sport world, that's not that abnormal. So nobody really cares. Like you're, not, you're supposed to not need an education if you're making millions of dollars. What do you need to know geometry for? Yeah, but
3: you just said you made $200 a week, some weeks and 15,000. Yeah. I mean, 15,000 a week yeah. is great. I'd like that. But $200 a week is not so awesome. Not
1: now. people don't always realize the realities of what it actually looks like when they're pushing their kids to do it. They just see that pinnacle of winning a million dollars and getting all the endorsement checks and all that stuff. Wow.
0: So what happens to the money as a minor when you're earning that? Is there a family dynamic going on there or is that... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it really depends on how healthy the family dynamic is. Um, If there's money left over, I should add, because when you're competing, you need to pay for a coach that's a six-figure salary. You need to pay for your own travel, which is like being on vacation every single week. Um, You need to pay for your coach's expenses, which is like two people being on vacation every single week. And this was before like credit card hacking was a thing. So it's not like you can just get free stuff. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the money that you make goes out. And when you're a minor, either your agent controls it or your parents control it. So it just depends. Hopefully you have good people on your corner and you don't lose all of it. But that happens to a lot of people. So what happened to your money? I lost it. (laughs) (laughs) No, so... For me, it was more about the expenses. Um, It's like any other business where you need money to make money. You need to invest to go to the correct events. That can mean traveling from New York to China, to Japan, to Korea, then to Australia, all within six weeks, you know? So those are insane expenses. And that's the life I was living. And everything I made went back into my career. At the end of the day, 10 years later, when I retired at the age of 23... I didn't have any money left. I maybe had like $1,000 in a bank account and no certifiable skill set to, to to really move forward in life except for maybe teaching tennis, which is just it can be very tough. So what did you do? I taught tennis for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point at that point I needed a stable paycheck more than anything. I needed a stable paycheck and I, I was walking away from a career where I had dreams, where I, I was very successful, but I had not fulfilled all of my dreams. So I just had this need to really be successful, but I knew it wasn't going to be in the tennis world. So I was like, where else can I be successful? And I wanted to be successful in the corporate world. That was like my next thing because it represented the absolute opposite of everything I ever knew. People who were educated, people who wore suits and weren't running around sweaty and grungy and all that stuff. So I want me to get an education. Fortunately, unfortunately, not many places will accept a high school equivalency diploma and a sixth grade education. So I started at my local community college, which was actually a great financial decision in retrospect, because I didn't pay after like FAFSA and federal aid and everything. I didn't pay much for it. And then my other decision was like, okay, I'm in a community college for a short amount of time, but I need to be able to afford to go to a better school in order to do that, again, need resources, but I had a finite amount of time from the time I enrolled in local community college to the time I was going to get myself to some better institution. So I basically maximized all of that time that I could to work and to make as much money as possible. So that meant squishing all of my classes at the community college into like two or three days. And then working mornings at a resort, teaching tennis because resorts pay well afternoons teaching competitive juniors because that was really all I could get in the early afternoons. And then nights bartending and waiting tables until three in the morning, waking up at six, doing it all over again.
0: So, so this is... You, at 23 years old, you completely start over, but you, you are mm-hmm. able to at least leverage your career as professional to have a, a reasonable source of income. Yes. That. So, mm-hmm. wow. What What happens next?
1: Well, so we'll just we'll fast forward a little bit like I ended up getting into a better college I moved to a different part of the country I had applied to schools that had strong endowment programs Because I felt like that was the best way to get into a college where I could receive financial assistance That bet paid off So I ended up at a school where I got a full merit scholarship Merit slash academic which is like just so funny because again, it's this great education academic scholarship <laughs> but um did that worked really hard everything was great graduated got a good job at a fortune 500 company where i was in their management training program so i thought life was great so
0: yeah can we can we talk about how you found this program what school you went to sure. uh, all all of that kind of stuff what you chose to study and how you thought about planning your career at this point
1: Sure, yeah, so I ended up in Boston at Babson College and I honestly just googled endowment programs. I knew I wanted to be in the Boston area. I had clients in the tennis world who were from the area they had all done well, so why not right so applied to a bunch of places and it's just it's really simple if you just go if you, it's amazing what you can find on Google you know and um, just started talking to people who knew of the different colleges I wanted to get into and kind of like just following up with one person, ask them if they can introduce me to anyone else who could provide feedback. Eventually you can find your way into the different institutions, you know? And so with Babson, I was able to eventually connect with the Dean of Undergraduate Admissions. And he liked my story enough to ask me what was going to be the deciding factor between ending up at Babson and ending up somewhere else. And I straight up told him it was money, which is a hard, which is a hard thing to admit. But it was the truth. You know, I was making a decent income, but it wasn't decent enough. At that time, it was like at least $50,000 a year at that college, as were many of the colleges that I was applying to. And I didn't have enough to, to afford that. Didn't want to go into debt, so.
3: So wait, he asked you what was holding you back from coming to the college and you said money and then he just gave you money? <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> he said, okay. We talked about a few other things. That was it. <laughs> I was kicking myself for saying that because I felt like an idiot, no because I didn't know what else to say, <laughs> but then when I got my acceptance letter, with it came my like an assistance package, and the assistance package didn't come first. The letter came first, and I was already freaking out, trying getting into a good college with my background. Are you kidding me? like I was not holding it together, and then the assistance package came through, and all I saw was like five and then like. Four zeros next to it, and even though I'd had paychecks that were pretty big in the past, like to be give, like that money just went away so quickly. It doesn't even seem real. But to have this other like pool of money coming in that was netting more than you had ever made in your life, game <laughs> over.
0: <laughs> so that's awesome. So what did you? What did you end up choosing to study?
1: Business and finance. I wasn't 100% sure exactly which way I wanted to go with that. Um, But knowing numbers, knowing business had really done well for me in managing my career. So I figured I couldn't really go wrong and I would would figure it out and optimize it as I went along.
0: And can you walk us through maybe some of the key... Point like the key things that maybe that you, you remember about going to college as someone maybe at a different age bracket than probably most undergraduate students.
1: Being very isolated, <laughs> not wanting to, not wanting to live on campus. Um, it has its pros and its cons because I think I got a lot out of it. I definitely appreciate it more, and I tried. I think a lot harder than some of my peers because this is like my second chance at the life that I wanted. But being twenty six and being around 20 year olds, it's just challenging. And it does it does allow for a lot of growth. You learn to see things through the eyes of others, which I think has really have helped me just in life generally, you know.
0: Got it. Could you give us a quick overview of your professional tennis career? Maybe some some <laughs> of the, the best stories or highs and lows points?
1: Um, yeah, There's. They have a lot of them. <laughs> um, so high points. I think one of the best memories I have of my career, um, would be at the 2018 Beijing Olympics in tennis. Like the Olympics, just our goal would be the grand slams. The Olympics are great, but they're not like a part of a part of like our vision. However, to be a part of something that means so much to so many, to see people come in when they've trained for this, their entire lives, like, The energy in the village is just it's palpable. It's like I didn't sleep, I think, more than two hours a night that entire week because every time I look up, there'd be like a box or running laps in the courtyard. Like there's so much going on. It was incredible. And walking out into the arena during the opening ceremonies, it was like just this sea of people. And you could see lights from like cameras and stuff, but you couldn't see anything. Like people use the term like a sea of people. This was An actual C. So to see so many people kind of come together for something that meant so much, that was probably one of the best things to be a part of in my entire career. In terms of low points, because I was financing my own career, like there were a lot of those. So there were plenty of times where I would book a ticket to go somewhere and I'd be there for like maybe three weeks, not have enough money. I wouldn't have a ticket home. I'd be like, hopefully I won enough in week one or week two that this check can cash and I can get home. Times where I didn't have money to buy myself dinner. Like I had a stash in my wallet that I conveniently sometimes forgot about for like 20 or 30 US dollars. And there was one night where I was like in Rome, I was coming home the next day, but it was like 4 o'clock. I was starving and I realized I didn't have any money left and I was just like, what what is my life? What am I even doing? And I looked in my wallet for some reason. I found that $20. I was like, yes, I can buy dinner. I can buy breakfast. I can have food until I get back home and maybe these checks cash by then, you know? So like definitely like diametrically opposing experiences when you have people cheering for you, giving you a standing ovation and can't even feed yourself. So.
3: Wow. Wow. I thought all professional athletes made millions and millions. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's amazing. That's like, it's just a a side of this life that you don't see. It just seems like the be all end all, like what everyone would would aspire to be. And it's interesting to hear your perspective having lived it.
1: Yeah. There's always a price to pay.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, so you graduate, so you hustle your way into and through college and then you Mm -hmm. get, it sounds like a great job. Can you walk us through the next, next part of your career?
1: Yeah. Um, so everything was great for a while. I was like as happy as could be. I knew how much money I was making when I was making it, whenever I needed to do something, it's not like I was necessarily constrained by resources. I wasn't, I was, I was, I was used to a pretty sparse life anyway, you know? So just having this money coming in and kind of accumulating and not having to think about it. Like I was just, everything was said, I was content. That being said, as I got to know my coworkers, I realized that I was living pretty comfortably But that comfort came with the price. And although I wasn't necessarily having to pay that price then, I would have to in time. So that price came in the form of options. So living and working and trying to accelerate your career in a corporate setting, you're giving up your nights, your weekends. They had all these things that they wanted to do with their lives spend more time with their family, spend more time with their kids, put their kids in private school, do this, do that. But they were governed by insufficient resources, you know? And so hearing that and then seeing people who would literally, so I was working for a defense company where there were people who had worked there for literally 40 years. And that was longer than I'd been alive. And I was like, how do you do that? (laughs) Is this my life? What's happening? So all those things were kind of peddling in the background. I mean, it wasn't really enough to, for me to actually do anything about it, but there were things I was thinking about. But then as as time went on, like I think anybody who's kind of had a corporate job has had this moment where you're like, I am working so hard. And at that time I was, I was working nights and weekends and doing anything I could to get ahead. And even though I am working so hard and giving so much and caring so much, who I am caring, what I'm caring about doesn't care about me the same in return. (laughs) In fact, it probably it's debatable whether it cares about me at all, (laughs) you know? And so that realization was what really sparked my journey into financial independence because it really paralleled parts of my past. And as I say, parallels, not exact. And I say this because I was reliant upon a, one single source for my future. So the decisions we make, the lifestyle choices that we live out, like these are all governed by resources, time and money. And typically by the idea of insufficient resources about no matter how much you think you have, it always feels insufficient, right? So it's relying on one source to basically live out my dreams and the rest of my life. And my mother, she did the same thing. She wasn't reliant on a company. She was reliant on a person. She was reliant on my father and didn't have any other outlet in which to establish economic independence And unfortunately for her and for my family, that resulted in being trapped in a extremely violent house. Our house was governed by the domestic abuse that my father perpetrated. So as I said, parallels, not exactly the same, but it was close enough. Like that dependency on that single source, that realization was close enough for me to realize that, you know what, there's going to be a price to pay and I don't, want, I don't want to pay that. I want to be diversified so I can make choices independent of what any one part of whatever I'm reliant on, whatever that outcome is. So what was your first
3: step when you realized this Did you, uh, uh, even before that, what was your financial position when you realized that you didn't have student loan debt, right? Okay. So no student loan Mm -hmm. debt. Did you have any sort of savings or was it more of a paycheck to paycheck existence?
1: It wasn't a paycheck to paycheck existence, thankfully, because I had been saving. However, um, I didn't have a ton at the time. I just started grad school. (laughs) So, and I didn't want debt. So I was my employer was paying for part of that, but I was paying heavily into that as well. So I didn't have a ton of savings, maybe like five or six thousand, which I guess is pretty privileged compared to where a lot of people are. but I didn't really yeah that's kind of the position that I was in. Then my first my first choice was to, to find a new situation. so I found a new job because I just I couldn't condone being in that environment anymore just with other things that have happened so I found a new job once I found a new job I started researching everything I could about personal finance and that's where things got a little bit challenging initially because when we talk finance and we talk money it's like this giant umbrella of everything there's so many things you can do and it's really overwhelming so like I looked at travel hacking but there's a ceiling there you know there's only so much you can travel hack. <laughs> because still have a job. <laughs> um, I looked at couponing, but oh my gosh, like there's only so many times I can save 10 cents <laughs> before I start to lose my mind. And then I looked at all these other things and they're all great. I still do a lot of them in small increments, but it was when I found bigger pockets actually <laughs> and real estate investing and read rich dad, poor dad, that like my paradigm, like how I viewed life and the things that could be possible, that's when the big shift happened. And I realized, hey, there is a huge opportunity out there if I'm willing to put in the work and understand what is going on, but I could change my life and those I care about fundamentally moving forward.
3: Okay, you just said something so brilliant. There is a huge opportunity if (laughs) I'm willing to put in the work. Nothing just is given. Well, I guess that's not true. Sometimes things are given, but you have to do the work. Most people yeah. will find success when they do the work. There's this huge opportunity. Oh, I'd rather watch TV. I read something. Americans watch something like five or eight hours of TV a day. Like I don't have five, maybe oh. it's five, <laughs> but still like five hours. I think it's probably five, I don't yeah. have five hours of free time to just sit in front of the TV. I've got things going on, but then... I don't even have a I TV. thought you retired.
0: Oh. <laughs> I have some questions here. So you're in this position, right? And, and it sounds mm-hmm. like you have some savings. You know, how many years into your career would this did this kind of moment in time happen? A new career,
1: three, <laughs> three years. Okay,
0: so about three years into the new yeah. career, and it sounds like you were you were contemplating business school or already in business school. I
1: already was.
0: Okay. All right. So so it sounds like several things are going on here at once. You're a couple of years into your career. You have some savings because you're you're practicing basic, basically sound money management. And then you have this epiphany. You read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, find wonderful website called biggerpockets.com. <laughs> and, and you start kind of realizing that there's another path here. Mm-hmm. What decision you, you, you've... It sounds like you'd already started business school at mm-hmm. this point. What changes about your trajectory, how you're planning for the future, what's your... What how you're managing money from, you know, after this realization?
1: So again, I... I truly believe in being diversified. I found this opportunity. I didn't know how it would work out or what that would look like. So I didn't stop going to grad school. I finished, I finished grad school. I mean, it was expensive, especially when I changed jobs and my tuition reimbursement was degrees. But I still needed... I still needed different opportunities. I need still need the ability to optimize different opportunities. So I finished that. However, that did not allow me to save enough to invest for a while. I still had like another 2 years. So in that time period, what I did instead was... Basically, every minute that I wasn't either working or studying for grad school, I was studying real estate, podcasts in the car, books on vacation. I was in Italy on the beach reading about how to vet property managers when investing long distance. Like just like that single-minded focus to set myself up for the next step. However, I couldn't take that step for two years.
0: Got it. So walk us through, when did, did you end up taking that step? Or what happened? What happened yeah, next what happened with your, next? your portfolio?
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I definitely did. About a year and a half ago, I purchased... This is when I was still living in Boston. So I was living in Boston, working the corporate job. And I purchased a property in Indiana, um, Indianapolis. Got a duplex got that going, went on the next... Had those 2 units. Fast forward another 6 months, closed on another 3 units. And so built up... Started that business and then realized, okay, so I'm starting this. This is going well. However, there are definitely areas in which I do not have the competitive advantage and it was still be hard for me to reach my economic goals, investing at a distance. So six months ago, I packed up and moved to Indiana. I live in Indiana now.
0: So so (laughs) why did you choose Indiana uh, Um, in the first place?
1: Because I love data. I love numbers. That's how I make a lot of my decisions be good or bad. And so when I was trying to figure out where to invest, I knew Boston wouldn't be an option. I can't compete with foreign investors who are coming in with millions of dollars in cash, buying things sight unseen, no contingencies, et cetera. So I looked at about, I think like 20 different cities in the U.S. and looked at a variety of economic statistics and compared their performances, both current and projected against the U.S. national average and looked at where... Like, basically, did like this is my finance nerd talking, but like, conditionally formatting it so that wherever things were performing well, it would pop out on the Excel chart because I just had like so much data. And then narrowed it down to those cities and started to find people, started to understand the demographics, started to find a team. And, and after all that, ended up in Indianapolis.
0: So where did you, uh, uh, okay. Af- after this is over, I want to talk to you about where you got all that data from. Um, <laughs> and I
3: want to jump in and say, do not yeah. apologize yeah. for being a data nerd or a finance nerd. This is your place. You are speaking True. to your people. They're all like, yes, yes. I have a spreadsheet
1: too. My tribe. I found my people. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. So, okay. So you, you chose to purchase properties in Indiana. What were you doing at the time for your work?
1: I was working as a senior financial analyst for a biopharma firm. So doing corporate financial plan analysis, managing expenses, budgets for subsets of the company. Got it. Okay. And were you working there in Boston? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then, so
3: do do you work from home or did they transfer you? They have happened to have an Indianapolis office? Well,
1: they did happen to have an Indianapolis office, but... They would have been happy with me working from home. I'd, even though I had transitioned a lot of my focus into real estate, again, with the diversification, I still worked really hard at my job. You know, that was really important to still maintain that because that was going, that was and is going to be what supports my real estate endeavors. Um, that w, I need that W 2 income, right? So I had set myself apart and done well enough to where they were like, you know what? You've performed well. You've been a great employee. Go to Indiana. We trust you. Do what you got to do. That is awesome.
0: That's awesome.
3: And I amazing. love that you yeah. said the W two employee or the W two is going to fund your real estate endeavors for a while. I I'm on the forums of Bigger Pockets all the time, and I see people say things like, "I just quit my job. How do I buy my first property?" I'm like, that give me a heart attack. Yeah. I would have a literal heart
1: attack.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. You definitely you quit your
0: you quit your job after you have accumulated a substantial portfolio in real estate. During the yes. accumulation phase, your job is your best friend. Speaking of which, how did you finance the down payments for your rental properties?
1: Through my W-2 income, Scott. Oh, what,
3: a, <laughs> what a unique way to fund real what estate. A novel idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see these people
1: say this. I'm like, no, go, go. Other people's money and yeah, everything no, else. Go back for your job back. There's a place for that. Yeah.
0: So with that, though, with graduate school, it sounds like it sounds like you were able to you're you're able to leverage just your W two job and your savings to finance these down payments, and you kind of slowly started accumulating these one by one over a period of how long? Uh,
1: the pro- Sorry, say that again. The properties or the money?
0: To walk you through the quick timeline of of the overall acquisitions that you've made in Indiana to date. Yeah.
1: <laughs> to date, okay. <laughs> so I started actively looking to acquire around the end of 2017. Found a property probably April of 2018, the first. Closed on that, had a little bit more money. Closed on the second set of properties September 2018. One set of, it was like a, a portfolio package, it was a smaller portfolio. One was conventionally financed, one was seller finance. Only reason, that was the only reason I could get into it, into both. So closed on those five doors, moved out, to, still renovating, got all of those basically. Cash flowing positively, all of them cash flowing positively by February of 2019 because there were renovations and then trying to lease out during winter and all that fun stuff. Moved out here April of this year, 2019. After moving out, found another house, one that I'm now living in, and I'm house hacking that. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. So you're aggressively all in on Indianapolis?
1: Yes. Yes. Well, if you're going to do anything, be aggressively all in. Otherwise, what's the point?
0: Love it. So, so what's what are your goals going forward? You, you you know, it sounds like you have you have a great job. You've got real estate. I imagine you're living very frugally if you're house hacking in Indiana. Yeah. What's next?
1: Um what's next is to continue to grow my portfolio and to meet others and I would love to see if there are other people who have struggled with the same things that I have to see if I can help them. Like eventually I would like to be in a position where I can choose between my like W2 job and spending more time giving back and Doing things that make, that I believe create more value in the world, whether that's nonprofit causes, spending time with the people I care about, that sort of thing.
3: Love it. Becoming a Navy Federal Credit Union member could help you earn more and save more. Take advantage of competitive rates with their certificate options or start saving for that next big money milestone with a low minimum deposit. Add money at any time and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long-term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe a live-in flip, or feeling ready to consolidate some of that high-interest credit card debt, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses much more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval. You're busy building your retirement accounts and emergency reserve, but what about life insurance? Getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses while getting back on their feet. The best time to get a policy? Now. Since life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. But don't worry, with Policy Genius, you can compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks. Already have a policy through work? It may not offer enough protection. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Their award winning agents work for you. Define the policy that best fits your needs, save time and money, and provide your family with a financial safety net using policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com.
2: Always find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet, Chardonnay, or maybe you're more of a whiskey drinker. Well, one of their single barrel bourbons is sure to please. With a little help from one of their friendly guides, Find the perfect bottle that's just right for you. Hosting friends or family and don't have time to shop in store? Well, that's no problem because Total Wine & More makes it easy to get everything you need for any occasion with curbside pickup and delivery. But you know what the best thing about shopping at Total Wine & More is? That every bottle comes with the confidence of knowing you just found something amazing. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. That's TotalWine.com. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. B21.
3: Okay, so we glossed over a fairly key part of your story that I didn't want to gloss over, but there were other questions that I wanted to ask. And, you know, the domestic abuse and the financial abuse that you talked about, I think there's that's way too prevalent in our society and i think that a lot of people mm-hmm. don't talk about it there's shame involved when there shouldn't be shame it isn't your fault that your father is abusive it isn't your fault that he withholds money and you know all of that but there's a lot of shame around that and i wanted to bring you in here to talk about you know there isn't you shouldn't be ashamed of that that's that's not something that no. that you should be you know, feeling bad. About it. Yay. It's so great. Like that's not, I'm totally fudging this up, but.
1: It, <laughs> no, it's okay. It's a hard subject is, to talk about. There is, a, there's a lot of shame and there's, there's shame, whether you're the child, or there's shame, whether you're the one who entered into the relationship. But at the end of the day, these things, it's like a slippery slope, you know, and nobody realizes what's happening. And until it's too late and you're essentially trapped and, and the role that, finance plays in these dynamics is critical. There are many different ways in which, so violent relations, domestically violent relationships, whether regardless of which gender is the perpetrator, which gender is the survivor, they have a common theme in that it's all about power and control. So if we talk about how we want to live our life, again, resources play a huge role in that what happens when you're with someone who takes away those resources or finds a way to control those resources you suddenly don't have nearly as many choices as you did before and that can mean leaving a violent relationship if you wanted to because then you couldn't so if you left then you couldn't support yourself the other option was living in a homeless shelter that sort of thing and those were those were definitely like the thoughts that i encountered growing up like my father did this deliberately, you know, and I've, I've seen this happen with other people deliberately where from the time I was five, six, seven, I would hear, what's your mother going to do? How can she leave? She can't do anything in reference to the money that she did not have. And let me also caveat that by saying, just because a person who is a survivor of this dynamic even if they have financial independence, it's still very hard to leave. There are many more things that come into play. So that is not like the sole reason a person can or can't leave, but maintaining independence financially and knowing how to take care of yourself and take care of those you care about from an economic perspective is critical. And I'm very passionate, obviously, about women's financial independence after being a female, seeing what my mother went through. But regardless of whether you're male or female or what type of relationship that you're in, that is absolutely critical in order for you to not only live your optimal life, but to live a safe life and to live a happy life.
0: But what does someone do who feels that the other partner has all of the the financial power in the relationship and that maybe they feel, hey, it would be really hard for me to go get a job or I don't really understand money or whatever. And therefore, at least uh, to your point, that's at least one part of the equation that's keeping me in in a place where I maybe don't want to be. How does someone go about taking the first steps towards fixing that situation?
1: That's a hard question to answer because it can be so varied and it depends on what they have access to. There are definitely resources and hotlines and places where you can call to get, I think professional help to understand where to go from where you are. But I think get figuring out what what that looks like through a professional outlet will be would be probably step one. You know, and then depending on your area, depending on your situation, depending on your level of safety, it then needs to be altered to make sure that the person is safe and can slowly rebuild their lives so that they can transition safely. Okay, I was looking up the
3: uh, National Domestic Violence Hotline number, which is 1 800 799 SAFE, S A F E. Um, You can also go online at thehotline.org slash is hyphen this hyphen abuse. And there are, there's a way to chat with somebody online. There's some red flags that you should look for. And then the, the phone number again is on there. And we will include all of these in our show notes which are at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow101. Yeah, so how did you leave this relationship?
1: <laughs> that was hard. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do. So <laughs> I was traveling. I was 19, 18, 19, traveling. Um, I was in Asia at the time and I refused to come, specifically to my situation, I refused to come home. My father wanted me to come home. I refused to. I changed all my tickets, flew to Australia instead. I had, I like, essentially, like, he had control of my money. See a common theme. I managed to snag a couple of my own paychecks and open up a bank account in secret so that I had like two or $3,000 to fly to Australia, which is basically everything to fly to Australia and stay there through a couple of events, make a little bit more money, and then hopefully that was enough to get me started. So it kind of was. However, um, perpetrators are a little bit sneaky. And so he found out when I was coming home, he met me at the airport. My brother is three years younger than me, but at the time, like 16, he's like bigger and stronger than I am. He tried to tell my brother to like force me into the car <laughs> than having it. So long story short, I caused a scene for the first time in my life. And, um, when I came to that and got a restraining order, had it in place for more than a decade and, just had to rebuild from there, I learn everything, whether that was opening a bank account, trying to figure out how debit cards worked, how credit cards worked, how to build a credit score, how to get a car, like all of that stuff
0: that's that's outrageous, yeah, sorry that that happened, yeah, that sounds but good for you for being able to break free,
1: yeah, but it's I read this quote the other day about reframing negative experiences like it can be the worst thing that happened to you, but there are good things that come from it so I'm resilient and empathetic and know how to survive. And as do many survivors, you know? So if these are the things that we walk away with, those are pretty good things to have in your life. So, absolutely. Was there anything that triggered this or did you just decide that you were done? I think honestly, it was turning 18 because at that time I was an adult and either I could make it, I I didn't need to put up with it. It was no longer child abuse. I was no longer a minor. I was not a child. So at that point it was either I left or I stayed and condoned what was happening to me. And I was lucky in that I was able to get away. Many can't, you know, because statistically the most dangerous time for a person for a survivor is when they are trying to leave. So, I was very lucky that I was able to do that. I'm not saying that my situation should like really other if others want to do the same who are in a similar situation, make sure that you have like a support system etc around you to do so safely.
0: Got it. So, one of the questions I have because this is a finance show is if this like our podcast or Rich Dad Poor Dad or some of that stuff that you discovered about financial independence is helpful to people in this situation from that concept. Because my imagining of the situation is that, you know, someone in that situation is, feels helpless. They feel like an inability to economically produce income on their own or to support themselves on their own to a certain degree. Is that a fair assessment? Is that?
1: The thing that's tough, it would be if they were able to make the choices that we can make. Mm -hmm. Like, we can save more money. We can go get a job. However, it's hard to keep a job. Whoever is abusing you shows up at your work to cause a scene every day. You're going to get fired. Mm. You know, it's hard to save when they take all your money. You know, it's hard to like get up to that point. It's, it's hard to learn when they control the resources that you have access to. Like my mom doesn't know how to use a computer. If she wanted to learn about bigger pockets, she couldn't. She doesn't let her drive a car. She couldn't go out to a finance seminar. So to an extent it could, but I feel like that might be diminishing the severity of some of these situations.
0: No, fair enough. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know about this this topic.
3: Okay. Sunny, thank you so much for sharing this with us because that's, that's something like Scott said, I don't know what I don't know about this. I don't know what I don't know about this, except I know that it's you know, it's, it's really helpful to hear that other people are in this situation too, or have been, and they got out. This is how I got out. Maybe some part of your story will help somebody else get out of their situation so they can go on and lead the life that they really want to lead. So now is time for the famous four, the same four questions that we ask of all of our guests. Are you ready, Sunny? I think so. Okay. Number one, what is your favorite finance book?
1: So this is probably an answer that is more prevalent on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate podcast, but it's definitely got to be Rich Dad Poor Dad. It was, I listened to a lot of podcasts, but in terms of actual books, like that's the one that made me change how I think about money and how I think about my life.
0: Love it. We get that book a lot. So if you haven't read it yet, it's time to go check it out. What was your biggest money mistake?
1: Not investing earlier. (laughs) When I was living in Florida, before I moved to to Boston for undergrad, I was living in this townhouse that was I could buy for about thirty five forty thousand dollars, but rent was eight hundred and twenty five dollars, and I didn't realize the arbitrage opportunity there at all. And I tr- actually did try to buy it, but I had like one year's worth of income, and they said no, and it was such a small loan they didn't want to be bothered. And I just said okay, and I left, and that was a hack. <laughs> I mean, I would give a lot to go back in time and, um, I think make, make better decisions like that and maybe not lease out a car the year before it comes out Mm. a brand new model and do ridiculous things like that. But yeah. Yeah. That car comes up a lot.
0: I love that. It's the opportunity cost.
3: What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out?
1: I think just getting started in some way, when we think about money and when we think about finances, it's like this big thing that affects so many parts of our lives. So it can be very overwhelming. But if you just look at like maybe one small section, and that's, that's what I did. Like, think about your food. How much are you spending on food and how can we optimize that? Once you get to a decent point there, leave that as it is, and then move on to like maybe your car, or your telephone bell. It doesn't have to be this big thing that needs to be tackled all at once. It's just making small changes that you can stick to. It's a lifestyle change. So just doing little things and figuring out what works for you.
3: I love that. And being patient. Yes, yeah, small, small changes are easier to handle and not like 50 small changes all at once, but one small change. And then when that's commonplace, then you do another small change and then that's mm-hmm. commonplace and another small change. I love it.
0: Scott? What is your favorite joke to tell at parties?
1: I have a bunch. so. All right,
0: Yay. let's do all of them.
1: <laughs> I, okay, but I don't actually tell these at parties. Maybe I should, maybe I should. But um, my friends are really into like punny and like dad jokes. So two days oh ago, I was God. like, guys, Perfect. give me what you got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only time I'll ever ask you for these. So make it count. <laughs> so if a child refuses to sleep during that time, are they guilty of resisting arrest?
0: Nice. Love it.
1: <laughs> um, don't trust Adams. They make up everything. <laughs> <laughs> that one I love. <laughs> Why did the invisible man turn down the job offer? He couldn't see himself doing it.
0: Oh, some, these are amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right? um, okay. Last one. You get You get to try to answer this one. What's the best part about living in Switzerland?
0: Um, Chocolate. The Alps. The... i don't know okay
1: i don't know but the flag is a big plus
0: (laughs) oh that's awesome
1: (laughs) (laughs) ended on the best all right (laughs) okay where can people find out more about you uh they can go to my website griffixpropertygroup.com and can you spell that first word sure g-r-i-f-f
3: I-X. Griffixpropertygroup.com. Okay. And all of these links will be found in our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow101. Sunny, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was really a great story. And I, I know that there's going to be a lot of people that can learn something from this.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for allowing me to share my story.
3: Yeah, this was awesome. Okay, well, we will talk to you soon. Yeah, this was phenomenal. Thank you. Can't
1: wait. Thank you.
0: All right. That was Sunitha Rao. Mindy, what'd you think?
3: You know, Scott, I feel weird saying I love her story because clearly I wish that all of those negative things didn't happen to her. Um, nobody's like, yay, domestic abuse, that's the best thing ever. But I love her attitude towards it. She didn't take this and say, wow, I guess this is just what I am for the rest of my life. She said, I am not going to deal with this anymore. I am going to change my narrative by taking charge of my life. And that comment she made at the end, the taking the negative and turning it into a positive, she's learned so much from her experiences. She's a pretty powerful woman.
0: Absolutely. I, I mean this story is one of hustle, competition, right? Like being reborn with a career, those kinds of things. Like she went out, she had she, I mean, how Badass, you have to be to be a professional athlete of any type, let alone travel the world at 14 to 19, you know, to 23 as a professional tennis player, doing it largely on your own, and then have to restart in community college, working 100 hours a week in conjunction with taking classes. I mean, it's crazy how much she's she's been able to accomplish in spite of some of the hurdles that she's come across.
3: I am just. So impressed by her story, because she had a sixth grade education. She basically quit school in sixth grade to play tennis. And then I can see someone who is maybe less driven, and that's that's I, I feel like I'm talking smack about somebody I don't even know, but I can see somebody less driven saying, "You know what? I'm just going to coach tennis for the rest of my life." And she was saying that tennis coaches have a six figure salaries, and their coaches. Their athletes, I guess, are paying for them to travel with them. So, you know, it's not a horrible life, but that's not the life she wanted. So she's like, you know what? I'm just going to do it different. I'm going to go to college. Even though I only have a sixth grade education, I'm going to figure out how to get to college. So she did. And then she didn't know how to pay for it. So she figured that out too. She just, she's really, really strong. And I love that part
0: one one of the things i think is is an interesting takeaway about this podcast with neith was that a lot of times we talk about how important it is to get these habits right started early and how that can compound over time but a trade off that sometimes occurs is you don't you don't you don't, you don't want it to be a trade off is you may have to give up on a certain timeline or dream line in order to Pursue financial independence. And I think Sunitha shows you don't have to do that. She was a professional athlete. She ended a nine-year career, didn't finish high school, didn't go to college at the normal time, and started at 23 with nothing, yet is still able to move on and rapidly pursue financial freedom, you know, in, in, in an aggressive manner with, with her current circumstances. And so I think that kind of shows, like, hey, there is room to go after that thing that is your your, your dream and passion. And then transition and go after this financial freedom. You can go after it any time, any starting circumstances.
3: Yeah, what did she say earlier? If you're going to be all in, be aggressively all in.
0: Yeah, I love that comment. That's awesome.
3: That is fantastic.
0: Couldn't agree more with that.
3: Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. Okay, from episode 101 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, this is Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench saying it's time to scoot little newt. federal credit union member could help you earn more and save more. Take advantage of competitive rates with their certificate options or start saving for that next big money milestone with a low minimum deposit. Add money at any time and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long-term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe a live-in flip, or feeling ready to consolidate some of that high-interest credit card debt, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses much more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval.
0: The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only.
3: Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own.